0: Welcome to another inspirational message from Dean Community Church, Gateshead. For
1: more information about Dean visit www.chowdean.org.uk.
0: We hope you enjoy the podcast.
1: There now, uh, I really I think you know I, I do get a chance to go and preach in lots of churches and um, big numbers and small numbers and um, I think this morning, oops, I'm not going that way. Uh, <laughs> this morning is probably uh, the most nervous I've ever felt, and I was trying to think, well, why should I feel nervous? I'm amongst friends and none of you are really too critical, not to my face anyway, and uh, why should I be really worried? But I think it's just. After listening to Jeff Lucas and being so inspired by what he had to say and the encouragement, I was thinking, well, what can I say? And I was even sitting there this morning thinking, well, actually, maybe Andy should have done the preach this morning because the words he said were so encouraging uh, at the beginning of the service. But I'm hoping what I'm going to say now, I I have been praying about it as you'd expect me to for the last few weeks, and um, I kind of feel what I'm going to say just sort of tops off. And as I was sitting listening to Jeff, I was thinking, yeah, that. What I'm, say, what I'm going to say on Sunday kind of fits in quite well, but you can be the judge of that, okay, at the end. Tell me whether you fit in or not, or whether it was useful or not. I do appreciate feedback, as long as it's helpful. Um, <laughs> a, a lot of churches I go to, they'll go, hey, they were lovely hymns. <laughs> <laughs> and you kind of go, well, what about the sermon, you know? And I'd and much rather sure people came and say, well, actually, what you said I didn't agree with, or what you said I didn't understand, than just... They were lovely hymns. Okay, so just a little test for you. Um, Some of you might, we're going to talk about building and standing strong. And um, I've got a picture here coming up now uh, of a place. If I I had some prizes, I'd give a prize to anybody who knows where this place is. It's in the northeast. It's not far from where we live. Lantern, Lantern. Lantern. well done Terry. How did you know that? Did you just recognise it? Yeah. Further up on this wall, further up on this wall, it gets to a bit where they made the wall twice as high so the drafts couldn't get out. Seriously, yeah. Further up as you get further up the road. Uh, But can you notice something about this wall? It's a stone wall, yeah. It's been there lots of years. The gaps in it, yeah. What about the gaps, John? Come on, you're a builder. No, you're not, you're really. No? Weren't for fire, sorry. Anybody know what they're there for? Can't hear over there? No? No? They're they're expansion joints. Because what they found is, as the wall was uh, getting heated up, it was falling over. And they were put in 50 years ago, exactly nearly exactly 50 years ago. How do I know that? Because my father put those gaps in those walls. And uh, he worked for uh, Lampton Colliery, and in those days, Lampton Colliery, if if Lampton House needed some repairs, the joiners and the colliery workers all went, and you know it was all that sort of in-house type thing. And uh, when I was 13 years old, my dad went and he put those gaps. And uh, Susan and I went up the other day to take this photograph, and we think there's about 25. Um, we were getting a bit trampled down with the traffic so we kind of lost count exactly but we think there's 25 gaps in the wall can we go on to the next one yeah so that's a bit more detail and you know I was and the next one as well which is probably not the best photograph but never mind <laughs> uh, me studying the gaps um, <laughs> um, I, was, I was thinking you know when my dad went to do that 50 years ago they didn't have still saws you know that's them Horrible saws that cut through paving stones and bricks and things, and uh, now they would just go up to the wall to get a still saw and they'd go shum shum and knock the bit out the middle. When he went to do that, they actually had to knock down part of the wall and rebuild it on each side to get that gap. So there was quite a lot of work involved, and and you know I was just thinking that sometimes for us to build anything. There's a bit of pain, isn't there? There's, there's a bit of pain comes first. There's a bit of anguish. And, and I don't know about what well, Terry and Margaret will tell you all about this. Uh, to get the house they've got now, which I assume is lovely, it will be, knowing them. Um, they've had to go through a few months of dirt and muck and thinking at one point, is this ever going to look nice? You know. And it's the same with us when God's doing stuff with us. Um, there's got to be a bit of dirt and a bit of grime and a bit of knocking down and a bit of building up. Before we get to the point, if ever we do, because it says we're being changed from glory into glory. And one day we'll get to that point where we're perfect. But it's a long process for some of us to get to that point. So I just wanted to introduce that. And and I was also reminded about that because Paul said uh, last week, remember, he said, what be written on the church's epitaph? What will we be remembered for? And my dad built lots of things, nothing, he didn't build any cathedrals or anything like that. He both, mostly built garages and outhouses for people in their gardens. Uh, but I'll always remember them, and perhaps you will now when you drive past, you'll go, ah, Stuart's dad put those slots in that wall when you're driving past. Today we're going to look at Nehemiah on this theme of building. And Nehemiah is one of my favourite stories. And um, we'll have that up now, Kath, thanks. If it's going to come, yeah. If you've got your Bibles, as Jeff said, or your electronic tablets, uh, turn to Nehemiah chapter 1. And and what I like about this is lots of things I like about the story, but I like how it even pinpoints when it was and where it was. It's not a woolly story, you know, like uh, once upon a time. In a desert or in a fairy forest or something. It says exactly where it was, when it happened, and who was the king. So here we are, verse 1. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, when I was in the citadel of Susa, Hananiah, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province, are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. I'm just going to stop there. But here's the picture, Nehemiah. He isn't even in Jerusalem. I don't know exactly. Maybe I should have researched how many miles away Jerusalem is from Susa, but... Uh, uh, he he isn't there, but he heard about people's need. He heard about what people needed. And he heard that the people were struggling. We might say the people had no hope. They were in a place where they just had no hope. And as a church, that's what we're meant to be about. We're meant to be hearing about people who are struggling. We're meant to be about hearing about people who have no hope. And, and, and on all of the ministries that we've got, and yes, we call them ministries because that's what each thing is that we do during the week, um, are usually with people who have something's happened in their lives and they've got no hope. Now, whether that's talking to people on uh, the coffee cart who have some pretty amazing life stories to say, whether it's with, say, families where we're talking to families who've just got in a position where they just don't see any way forward, whether it's when we we're doing a, um, a, a, a luncheon club for old age pensioners and perhaps the only thing they come out to is that luncheon club once a week and the only people who ever listen to them are the people who are there um, and, and all the other things that we do in church, that's what we're about, listening for where people are without hope and bring something into their situation. So Nehemiah, this lovely guy, Nehemiah, I'd like to have met him because I think he's just, he be an inspiration to us. Uh, he, he heard about this. And notice the first thing he did is he sat down and he wept over the situation. And I guess, I don't know about you, but I'm, many times I'm at the point where I just see need on the television and, and I can't cope with it. I turn it off. My way of coping with it is to turn the news off because it's usually just bad news, isn't it? We're just met by people who have no hope, whether it's in Syria, whether it's the refugees, whether it's the countless people who've been drowned getting across the, uh, the Mediterranean Sea, to safety, and just what drives somebody to get on a flimsy rubber raft with their family and babies in their arms. We could be overwhelmed by that grief, couldn't we? And he sat down, he was overwhelmed and for some days, he mourned and he fasted and he prayed before God. But he kept on going with his, with his normal duties day by day. But he, he just had that heavily laden concern on his heart. And then the next one, please, Kath, lovely. So then we move to chapter two. And um, so he's doing his normal job. Now, he happened to be a cupbearer in the palace of King Artaxerxes. In the month of Nisan, in the... Nisan, in the 20th year of King Art Xerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of your heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad? when the city where my fathers are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. The king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the king of heaven and I answered the king, if it pleases the king and your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city of Judah where my fathers are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king with the queen sitting beside him asked me, how long will your journey take? And when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. So isn't that a lovely picture of this guy? He's got such a relationship with the king. He's the cupbearer, which means, I guess, he, he, he sort of took the wine in, and probably had to drink it first to make sure it wasn't poison. He was the cupbearer to the king. And the king had such a relationship with him, although he was a servant, that he noticed that he wasn't his usual cheerful self. Why have you got a sad face, he said. And he said, well, and he told him why. And and it says he offered a little prayer before he he actually said anything to the king. But what's lovely about Nehemiah was he had such a good relationship with his employer that the employer said to him, I understand your sadness, and I would like to help you. And, and, And those words there echo that, don't they? They say, when would you like to go? And how long will it take you? Isn't that amazing to get that reaction? I remember I've told you the story before, going to buy, uh, to get a pub from Vaux Breweries to turn into a youth centre. And, and, and Alan Nicholson, the, uh, the chairman of Vaux, said to me, um, well, how much do you want to pay? And as soon as he said that, I was thinking, oh, this sounds like a possibility he's going to give us the building. And then when he said, does a pound sound all right? I went, oh, He's serious about, well, I think he's serious about this. And when we get in God's presence and we're doing the things God wants us to do, the doors open and we shouldn't be surprised about that. And the door opened for Nehemiah. In addition to that, he gave him letters of authority. He gave him vouchers, as it were, so that he could have timber and whatever was needed. So we move on with the story. So I'm jumping through the whole story because there's about 10 sermons in Nehemiah, but we're going to jump through. And, uh, and what we, this, verse, this verse 10 says, when Sanballat the Huronite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. And why I've chosen that verse is just to remind us that sometimes, in fact, often when we do in God's work, there will be opposition. There will be opposition. And often the opposition comes from the place we don't expect it. The people we think will be like for us often are not the ones who are the most supportive of us. So whenever we're going to do something, we should expect a bit of opposition. As Jeff talked about, it doesn't necessarily mean it's the devil, but it just means human nature, there's a bit of opposition. Okay, next one, Kath, please. All right, so we get to chapter three. So uh, he's moved on with the story. Uh, and when he gets there, he goes and he has a look at the wall. He sees what the damage is and, and he, he, he tries to decide on a plan. And, uh, and this is amazing because when you think about it, he didn't go with a thousand builders. He didn't go with talent engineering or whatever building company, construction, and homes or whatever. He went just himself. And he went round the walls and he talked to everybody, talked to the families. And somehow, he motivated them to do the work. Now, you might say, well, why did he need to go and do that? Why didn't the people just build the wall themselves? Um, you know, he, he, Yeah, he took some building supplies, he had some timber and stuff. But why didn't the people build themselves? Well, he, they needed somebody to encourage them. They needed somebody to give them hope. And I guess he went along and he said, look, if you build that bit of wall over there, they build that bit of wall over there, and they build that bit of wall over there, what's going to happen? The whole thing's going to come together. And so that motivated the people to do it. There was no extra skill given, no extra uh, resource. He just motivated what was already there. And, and, And I know I hop back to Safe Families, but that's what happens with Safe Families. When... When a volunteer gets alongside the people, uh, we don't add a lot. They just encourage the person, give them a bit of hope and say, well, look, if you do this, this was what might happen. So that's, that's what happened. And then we get this lovely, re- uh, this, this is just a real favourite bit of mine. In chapter 3, it says, Eliasheb the high priest and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate they dedicated and set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated as far as the Tower of Hanolin. The men of Jericho built the adjoining section, and Zakah, son of Himram, built next to him. And I keep going because they're not all up there. And then it went, The fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hassanah. They laid its beams and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. Marimoth, son of Uriah, the son of Hacoch, repaired the middle section. Next to him, Methuselah, son of Barakah, the son of Masakalbal, made repairs. And next to him, Zadok, sons of Barna, also made repairs. And so it goes on. And there's a record there of what people had done. And, uh, and, that's, and that's really encouraging, isn't it? Just to say, what have people done? Uh, I wondered what that would sound like if we were writing that story about what the people of Chowdeen have done. And, uh, and, and Sam's just going to share something with us. This, this might be what it sounds like.
0: I think it might sound a bit like this. June Allport, nursery manager, builds walls with staff, parents and children. Kath Library supervisor helps build walls with the general public. Terry Nickel, insurance executive, helps build walls with potential customers and colleagues. John Stevenson, process operator, helps build walls with other colleagues. Paul Bathams, project worker, helps build walls with young people. Deb Smith, receptionist, helps build walls with the public and work colleagues.
1: not good, isn't it? When we hear that, and that's only a few of the people here, we just wouldn't have had time to go around everybody. But if we all build the wall, if we all contribute, what a difference that would make. The next one, Debs. Catherine, sorry. Uh, and so the wall was completed on the 25th of Ulla in 52 days. So, I mean, that's not a long time, is it? When you consider it took 42 years to build Durham Cathedral, uh, and the wall was repaired. I know it was only a repair, but 52 days. And again, it makes me think, well, if it was only 52 days' work, why didn't they get on with it sooner? You know, why didn't they make a start? But they needed that motivation. They needed that encouragement. When all the enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realised that work had been done with the help of our God. Isn't that amazing? And that's what we're about. That's what the whole weekend really about being, what Jeff's been talking about, is if we get on board with our God, we can do amazing things. We can make massive change and uh, the supernova, that, uh, I, I was really impressed with how Jeff must have listened to every word that Paul said. I've got to confess that when I'm listening to Paul, I don't always listen to every word he says. And, and I can't remember every word the week after and uh, remember the key points. But obviously, Jeff had listened. And, um, and that bit about the supernova, the supernova, when all that energy comes together, it gives off a bigger energy than all the components of it. And I really do believe that as a church, if we pull all this energy together, the bits we're doing, we'll create something that will be bigger and stronger than each one of us as individuals. It will be a supernova explosion. Not sure what happens after that, but it will be a supernova <laughs> explosion. And, and I loved it there where the nations around realised what was going on realize what's going on there's a change going on in our nation and it's to do with churches getting on board with social action it's to do with churches doing the thing that the state has not done very well caring for people looking after people getting alongside people giving people hope the state at the moment takes hope away from people and we as a church have the opportunity to give hope Back to people. Hope for a future. Hope for future lives. And above all, hope of eternity with the Lord Jesus. So today, just in summing up, we'll have the next slide on. We've got a blank page in some ways. There's a stone there. Chowdhury Community Church. I just want you to think about what would you like to see written on there? Maybe you might be so proud that you don't want to have your name written on, and I understand that. But what would you like to see written on that stone of Chowding community church? Perhaps things like they loved each other. Perhaps things like they cared for their neighbours. Perhaps things like they cared for the community. Perhaps things like they were a generous people, both with their time and with their money. Perhaps things like a number of people became Christians because of their witness. So many other things we might want written on that stone. That stone will never be created physically, never ever be created physically, but it will be created in eternity, forever, as a witness to the church. I love it when John talks about... um, Chowdhury in the early days and the fires and the butcher's shop and all that sort of stuff and uh, what happened there. But we're living on that heritage. We're living on the heritage of what other people have done in the past. And future generations are going to live on the heritage of what we leave for them. And and, and I'm praying and hoping that other people will know that heritage and it will make a difference in their spiritual lives. It might mean stepping out of our comfort zone. It might mean doing something completely different. It might mean just saying, well, you know, I'm really grateful for where I am and I want to bless somebody else. And that will make a difference. I'm going to to stop there and we're going to share communion in a little while. But uh, let's just pray together, shall we? Let's just bring all these thoughts and stuff before God. Father, for ourselves, sometimes it's hard to stand strong. And and even just the thought of helping somebody else seems just too much for us. So I pray today, Lord, that you will strengthen our very beings, our very selves. I think that's what this weekend's been about as well, from Friday night, when we had the opportunity to pray for each other. I pray, Lord, that you'll strengthen us. And that you'll strengthen us so that we can go out and be what what you call us to be in the world. That we can hear people's need. We can hear the distress and concern that people have. And we can bring a change. We can bring a difference. We can give hope to the hopeless. And a sense of future to them. I pray, Lord, that each one of us go away from here, that You'll challenge us, just to be the people who we can be. That You'll challenge us to build Your church in the world around us. I thank You, Lord, for the work that's already been done, and uh, in no shape or form do we want to to be a little that work. Lord, I just thank You for the precious work that goes on in our community the work that people here have sacrificially given to. um, And Lord, we continue to pray for that, that it will bear more fruit and guide us into new places as well. Thank you, Lord, for all that you've done for us. Thank you that we we no longer need to have fear, just hope and certainty in you. Thank you. Amen. I'm going to, uh, when we come to the communion service, we're going to have a song in between. Um, I'm going to ask you, just I'll tell you now, there's some bricks at the front here that the young people have built a rather impressive wall. Uh, They've got no expansion joints in there, I notice. Uh, But I'd like you, when you come forward for communion, would you just take, it sounds the wrong way around, but would you take a brick off the wall? Yeah? And would you take that brick home with you? And just use it as a visual reminder that you are uh, part of something. You're part of a fellowship. And, and when you come on a Sunday, remember that that wall just comes back together again. Jeff talked about that, didn't he, about us having fellowship together. And uh, you might want to bring your brick with you on a Sunday. I don't know, but that's not important. But um, that doesn't mean bring your husband. It means bring a brick with you. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> Um, And just use that as a reminder, as a visual aid of what the weekend's been all about and uh, and, and what God's calling us to do. Thank you so much.
0: This is the end of this message. We hope you enjoyed it. If you want to find out more about our church, please visit www.chowdean.org.uk And please take a minute to rate our podcast on iTunes.